0: And we're back, Stripe Show Podcast, on a Thursday. I'm Travis Fulton. Instruction Thursday, we're back, first one of January. It's only fitting, the guy that won in Honolulu, Chris Kirk, his longtime coach, joins me, Mr. Scott Hamilton. First off, congratulations, Chris Kirk, his sixth win on the PGA Tour. Looks like you're going to be able to keep the lights on a little bit longer up there in that studio, buddy. Yeah, no, that's it's a. <laughs> I haven't ever started out that hot before, so that's pretty fun. Yeah. Well, it's a good start. They go back to back, of course. Uh, now they're over in uh, Wai Lai, and before we came on uh, on the podcast, how many how many guys you got playing?
1: I got seven. I'm not positive, yes. but I think I have seven.
0: Yeah. How do you keep it? How do you, do you, do you go to do you go to sleep at night with it? Is there like? One or two of them that are like, man, I can't get this dude out of my head. And then, you Oh, know, yeah, it's like whoever's
1: struggling, to i yeah. spend the most, you know, it's who you end up spending the most time with and who you worry about all the time. It's like, it's really cool for guys in the top 10, but like most instructors that teach on tour, who you care about is a guy who missed the cut, you know. Yeah,
0: it's That's because it's, just you... a ma- it's a matter of time, right? I mean, it's like you, you can't just play great golf all the time. I mean, the game's going to no, catch up to you. You're going to have some bad weeks. Downs.
1: Yeah, there's not a lot of Tiger Woods out there that did what he did for all those years. I mean, I mean, you see it with like Justin Thomas, kind of had off year last year, and Ricky yeah. kind of got back last year. You know, it's just there's highs and lows in the game. I mean, Kirk is a perfect example. Like, I think it was two years ago. I, you know, and time runs. I've done this so long, but it runs ago. I think two years ago, after Kirk took that time off to fix his life, he, uh. Was, I think it's like his last start was Hawaii. I think he finished second to retain his tour card. So, I Mm -hmm. mean, it was one of the most clutch things I'd ever seen in my life. So, but I mean, there was a guy that was, you know, trying to keep his status. And now he's won twice like in the last year. So, Mm -hmm. it's crazy.
0: I, I, the first time I met Chris was, I think it was 2000 or uh, 2020. And, you know, he took some time away. He was, he was coming back, putting his, his life together. He got sober and the whole bit and he didn't get into the PGA tour event. So he drove down to my neck of the woods. I'm in Ponte Vedra and he played the corn Ferry tour event down in the King and bear just south of here in St. Augustine. And so he's like, yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm driving down there. And I, I, I called him. I was like, Hey, I'd love to have you on the podcast, share your story. We were one of the first ones to, to do that. It was one of our most well-received podcasts we've ever done. And and so I, I follow Chris and I watch him and he shoots like 27 under okay, for four rounds at the King and Bear. And I'm just thinking to myself, okay, I've played the King and Bear 150 times. And that guy just went around four times and shot like 27 under par on this golf course. Absurd. And, and as I was driving back and I'm thinking to myself as Chris Kirk is coming back, I'm thinking, you know, I don't think people realize how great of a player Chris Kirk was you know, before he took some time away. I mean, this guy that won four times on the PGA Tour. And he takes some time away, comes back, he's got to get his feet underneath him. And uh, he wins last year. Not a bit surprised he starts the season this year, goes over and gets six wins. Uh, on the show on Tuesday, I talked about Xander Shoffley has seven wins. And we hold Shoffley up here like he's this great player in the PGA Tour, and he's a wonderful player. But Chris Kirk has six. I mean, Chris Kirk is right there with a guy yeah. like Xander Shoffley. So, no one should be surprised to see Chris Kirk coming back out and winning. And I have a feeling it's not over. I mean, this guy's going to keep going.
1: Nah, he, I mean, he's, I think he's in the best. I mean, I've taught him since like 2014 or something like that. I think he's definitely in the best physical shape he's ever been. He hit Dicker. the gym really hard. He, he's got he's a bigger. guy that helps him train.
0: Yeah.
1: I mean, he's always been tall and thin. You know, he's taller than people think. They're always shocked when they get around him. Mm-hmm. How tall he is. So he's always been lanky, you know, and he's he's just a little better put together in his shoulders and through his arms and everything, which yep. I think is going to help him a bunch.
0: So let's let's get into a swing because you know I were texting, and you know, we these Thursday podcasts do well. We can a little coach speak back and forth, talk about, you know, not only what it is that you're working on with a particular player, but also just I think just some general concepts that get kicked around in social media. Um, whether on TV, and just shed some light on different patterns that that are out there, right? That we see and in, in, in how they work together. The most common and the sexiest in 2024 and 2023 is this shallow and rotate, right? It's like get some flexion in the lead wrist, get the shaft to lay down in the right forearm. And then from there, just get the hell out of the way, right? Rotate, lean the shaft forward. Off you go. And and we see a lot of players play successfully like that. Victor Hoblin probably, you know, is a little bit of the poster child of that. But you look at Chris Kirk, and you, and you look at this swing, and for those watching on YouTube, um, you can see the sequence that I put up. And this is a wedge swing. Chris is a wonderful wedge player. And I want to talk about not only this pattern, but just his wedge play in general. And the first thing, Scott, that I'll throw out there, and I'll let you take it here, is... You know, you look at that club coming down, right, in that fourth frame, and you look at the shaft maybe, you know, in between the right and left forearm. It's not, you know, laying down on that right form. It's not shallow, as we would call it. And so it's a little steeper coming down. And then you look at him through the strike, and Chris is not one that is flying open, right? He's rotating, but he's not, you know, crazy rotated open like we would see with the Dustin Johnson. And as a result of that, his club would maybe swing a little more down the line. His club face would turn, rotate over a little bit more uh, into post impact. And so this is a pattern as well, right? It's not one that's shallow, lay it down, really rotate, low handle, minimal closure rate in the face. This is one, hey, a little steeper, not as rotated through the strike, exit a little more down the line. This works just fine as well, right?
1: Oh, yeah, I mean, that's – the thing with me is my style of teaching is – and I tell people this all the time, i I probably taught as many PGA Tour guides as anybody that's currently out there working on tour. And, you know, I mean, Boo Weekly and Chris Kirk, I've taught Boo for years. They couldn't be any more different in their patterns, but they both are really successful ball strikers. Uh, Chris, he's just – he's always kind of had a steep what would – in modern times – People would think he's steep, but he goes into a bunch of extension through the hit. The club always lines up with his grip. You know, if, if we caught that video where the club head is in line with the grip on the downswing, you'd see it's not way underneath or way over, and then he goes into a bit of extension kind of get it out of the ground. It's like this pattern works. Tom Hoagie is always top ten uh in greens regulation i think he was last week i looked he was fifth or something finished like 35th at and he uh he's got the same type steep pattern and mm-hmm. then he kind of gets out of the ground and and the club is really good from hand side through hand side through the hit it's every guy doesn't look the same and yeah. a lot of these different patterns work and i you know with chris he just when he's when he hired me years ago he just wanted to drive it a little bit better he was completely happy with his iron play, so we've just we've just tried to maintain what he does, maybe improve it just a little bit, but not change his pattern by any means. Like not everybody, you know, when Chris is at impact with an iron, he's somewhere between one degree closed and one degree open with his shoulders. Where, you know, mm-hmm. you'll get people that lay it way down and they're twelve and thirteen degrees open yep. with their shoulders. It's more rib cage opening than shoulders, but that's kind of what you measure. So, I mean, that's just his pattern and it works really well for him.
0: He's a great wedge player. And, you know, there's a lot of things that, that go into hitting a shot as far as like the launch angle, um, controlling the distance, et cetera, et cetera. Chris is primarily, you know, he draws the ball, hits a little trap draw, starts it to the right, you know, and draws it to the left. I would assume that's what he did with his wedge too, right? like a three-quarter wedge, same kind of shot. When yeah, it's the same. When you look at leg. when you look at Chris and you look at controlling these approach wedges, and you compare that to say the amateur player that's listening, you know, where 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 would you take that conversation to say, hey, I need to, I need to be able to flight it, get a reliable shot, control my distance. Here's two or three things to consider. To, to make those things happen
1: you know somebody that's helped me a bunch with like wedge stuff is jeff pierce and really what i teach all my kids is um i like i use lob wedges and i always start out hitting 60 mile an hour shots and what i try to do is uh you know the 60 degree wedge at 60 miles an hour with a smash around one that ball is going to fly roughly 60 yards so the biggest thing on a track, man, I'll set up, I'll put six numbers up. I'll put up, first thing I put up is club ed speed. Then I put carry, then I put launch, then spin, then smash, then spin loft. And what you're really trying to do is teach somebody like, especially with the, the college kids I have come in, the bulk of them launch it too high. Yeah. So if you can get a lob wedge launch, of uh, 30 to 27, five, then you're going to have consistent contact and you're going to control the spin loft. The real trick of playing wedges is that you have the same spin and the same launch all the time. Well, even with Chris, it was last year at Palm Springs, we got on the back of the range and really worked on dialing his launches in because I would really started working on that after hanging out with Pierce a little bit with Doc Redman. And, I mean, it really – he was really great at it, but he – just was a little bit of unaware of some of the launches. And once he tightened the launches up, his great wedge play even got better. Mm-hmm. So the biggest thing, tour guys, even skilled like one or two handicaps, or it's crazy how they can swing a club, a certain club head speed. I kind of think about wedge play different than most people. Like how far the ball goes is a byproduct of the club head speed. So like a lot of times people just set cones and markers out there and hit it. And some days you're good at it, some days you're bad, but everybody's really good at swinging a a club, a certain club head speed. And if you'll match that up with the launch, unless your club pass way off, you're going to hit pretty much the exact shot every time with the same spin. So whenever I always do, I'll teach a kid how to do it. And after they do it like two times, the spin variation in five shots would be less than 300. And the launch would be... I mean, you can put them out, show them on a track man on launches exactly. Once people start seeing that same shot come out of the window all the yep. time, then they become a way better wedge player. So for the amateur, you just need to work on your launch. Now, that's challenging if you don't have access to a measuring device like a track man. But you can still get out there and try to get a certain height if you're hitting to a tree or anything where, let's, let me just get this ball coming out here the same height every time.
0: So you're, you take a 56 degree wedge, you, you start, let's just say you're zeroing in on a particular speed. You're trying to hit that speed and hit that launch consistently dialing that in. Right. And then from there you you can take a little speed off of it or add a little speed, but trying to keep the window the same.
1: Yeah. I mean, the routine I do with my college kids is I teach them the 60 degree, 60 mile an hour first okay there can be variations some people are great at 62 some people are great at 61 but i'll yeah. give them one i'll give them a stock baseline shot and then i'll teach them how to do that then we'll do it with all three of their wedges they're 54 and they're 50 and each time the gap is about 10 to 12 yards so you have three shots that have about 8,500 spin on them and then i'll tell them when they go home practice this at this speed and then practice two or three miles an hour slower two or three miles an hour faster and then all of a sudden you got a big bucket of a lot of shots that have the same
0: spin same launch and it'll make you a way better wedge What so i always tell people like i i say you don't realize how low these best players launch their wedges until you get out there you know yeah. and i said they're not hitting it way up in the air can they hit it way no. up in the air yeah they can but these approach wedges are are down and i i can remember playing with zach johnson at a pro-am one time and i swear to god these balls were like coming like over our head you know out of the window and just these little bullet draws and i can remember talking to mike bender about it and like yeah he would he'd hit these little trap draws he'd get the path going seven to the right but it was the same window every time tumbling left and he's like his distance control was so good and you put the pin in the middle and a back left, and that ball kind of just tumbling left. He's, that's for the reason why he made so many shots, you know, oh, so, yeah, many, no so many approach wedges. So it's, I mean, uh, I it, teach,
1: it's, a bunch of, teach a bunch of tour guys, and I watch the launch all the time. Duffner launches at about 27.5 with a lob wedge. Kirk's about 28. Wow. I mean, they're all – that's what they launch it at. And you get somebody in there, and the thing about it is, if you you run somebody in and and they're hitting balls, and you're t- especially when it's interesting when you're teaching them this drill, and mm-hmm. then the next thing they launch one out at thirty four, well that spin can go to four thousand. So it's like it all of a sudden the spin loss way off, and then you have a completely different shot coming out of the gun. So it really is, it's mastering club head speed, and mastering launch, launch is what I think helps people the most with wedges. And you're exactly right. right. Like tour guys hit it way lower than you think they do. Yeah.
0: All right. Let's get into, uh, let's get into this 10 year journey with Chris Kirk. Uh, I think this is, this is a good discussion for my audience here on the pivot. And so I've got, for those listening, I've got a little sequence of Chris 10 years ago, back in 2014 when he was working with Scott. Um, and then, little sequence up top, which was from the century just you know last week. And and you and I were talking about basically how Chris has learned to kind of get his lower center a little bit more under his upper center in the backswing. And then that dynamic of let's say being a little more stacked and that value that has in transition as he moves left. And then from there he can he can rotate and hit it. So Just kind of setting the stage real quick. I'm going to demonstrate this for for the audiences because I think this is such an important piece of the puzzle where this right hip, Scott, where for Chris, when he would turn, and and let's say I'm just going to exaggerate where that right hip maybe spins a little bit. It feels like, you know, I I know this move very well, Scott. This is my golf swing. My right hip would kind of spin around a little towards my left heel. And and then my upper center, my top – spot you know, my, my top button would kind of move a little to the right. And so the opposite of that is feeling that lower center, that belt buckle moving a little, you know, maybe diagonally towards my right heel and the right side of my pelvis kind of climbing and what feels like moving out a little bit, which then gets my upper center a little bit more on top of it, assuming I keep my head more centered. But the the short story of this is that that there's a little move you see with Chris now, where this kind of like this little move laterally, and then he turns and stays right there, and it's not a sway. It's just more of a kind of this loading sensation into the right, and then that belt buckle getting more up underneath the uh, upper center. Is that is that accurate?
1: Yeah, that's a hundred percent. Like when he started, he did what I called counterbalancing. He just what you described right there, he'd kind of send his the center of his pelvis towards the target and he yeah. would move his upper body behind it, you know. And yeah. and it's probably all those years like in college when you hit great big high, real high hooks, you know, kind of that it probably feels easy to do like that. The the thing is I've probably I've got a gear system, I've three numerous tour players. One of the big keys in, in being a great ball striker is keeping the sternum on top of the pelvis. So if the center of the sternum, the center of the pelvis, left arm parallel on the downswing, those two need to be about on top of each other. If you get the pelvis out in front and the sternum, the center of the sternum behind, and the the sternum's trying to catch the pelvis, you just never have great compression and face control yeah so you know there's there's guys that stay stack up and stay right on top of each other and then there's people like Sergio Garcia, which has a really extreme where he keeps his head really centered and his pelvis moves way to the right and then he slides his pelvis back up under his centered head. So with Chris, uh, you can see as we've you know if you look at the third picture on the top, he's way more his spine's way more ninety degrees right there in that frame or closer to ninety degrees. And then he goes into a later right bend. Yeah, we found out with Chris, he drives it the best when he's only like one or two up, and his, his swing direction is three or four to the right. That's when he drives it like in his compression, and he hits it more in the middle of the face. Yeah, like the the very first lesson I ever gave Chris, he came up to me on the range ten years ago at a FedEx event, and he's like, "I'm a pretty good iron player, but I just don't drive it accurately enough. I need some help with my driver." and his first swing on a track, man, he was one down and like 13 to the right with his swing direction. Well, you know, the <laughs> wow. face just isn't really attacking the ball when you do that. So we worked really hard to kind of neutralize. The most irritated Chris again with me, though, is when I zero him out too much and he can't mm-hmm. get it out to the right. Mm-hmm. And Obviously, he had it going on really well there at, at the century. If anybody watched it, he's curving every shot right to left. But whenever he – it's – He's not functioning well, and the ball's too straight. He doesn't feel like he knows how to aim. And then the next thing, he gets his foot line lined up to the right and starts pushing it out there with with his setup instead of with his golf swing. So the bulk of the time when I go on the golf course with Chris, I'm really just making sure that he's set up slightly open with his foot line but can hit a push draw from there.
0: So he's slightly open with his stance line, but his shoulders are fairly square. 100%. 100%. Yeah, And then he's using okay, his attack angle, asking. which um, kind of, he, he's using that attack angle where he, where he hits down, it moves the path a little to the right, and so yeah. he doesn't necessarily have to aim right to hit it right. He's just, right. it's a slight push-draw from a, from a square stance, but I would imagine that if he had to cut it, he's definitely aiming left.
1: Well, when he won a he won colonial i think maybe like 15 i think so when he won colonial and he wasn't driving it very well and he actually kind of hit and i think this is he kind of cut his driver around there that day just because wow. he wasn't driving it very well now Colonial's one of those places he he was putted really well and he ironed it really well but he just wasn't swinging his driver that good and he just used what he had and just kind of block cut it out there all day and still won the golf tournament on the final (laughs) round. So he can do whatever with it. Like he's super talented. Yeah. Uh, But you know, it looked like to me, I've watched him play a lot of golf. He had it on. I mean, he had it on autopilot over in Hawaii. It was pretty impressive.
0: So I think, so I think what I want to, I want to circle back here with Kirk is that you said that he's got some side bend at impact where the lower center has, definitely moved a little more towards the target than the upper center, but that is not. And I think this is important for our audience is that, you know, we're not trying to maybe necessarily create that in the backswing where you can see my lower center moving towards the target my upper center, you know, off the ball. And I think, or I should say, and, or it's not, it's not from the top where, your lower center is bumping and your upper center is hanging back. You're not taking on that side bend early, right? What you see with Chris there is he, you know, he's a little more lined up here and then he's, you know, he's definitely keeping that a little more stacked in transition. And then as he turns to impact that pelvis just continues to glide and move a little more out in front. So, you know, side bend is, is kind of managed or reduced say to the top and in transition, but then kind of, you know, it, it, it increases and evolves as you swing through impact.
1: I mean, definitely, you're exactly right what you're saying. And anytime I'm given a lesson, like when I'm watching people, especially if, I, if, I just, if I'm just my outdoor place and not in my studio where I'm running yeah. 3D, I'll draw a line. Like I get a college kid, I'll draw a line up their right leg, just right up the outside of the right leg and make sure they're not bumping towards the target on the backswing. Mm-hmm. That's just such a hard. You just it's so hard to catch up if you're running your pelvis forward on the backswing, and you know it's like even if you look at Kirk or any of the tour guys, if they they move the center of the pelvis an inch and an inch and a half to the right, that's about it. It's not much. Yeah, it's just right. not forward. The average guy's pelvic sway through the hip is somewhere between four point five and three point four inches. So you don't want to burn up that little bit. You got to go forward on your backswing is really what the, the truth of it is. And yeah. and you don't want your sternum chasing your pelvis. Like when I started teaching snuds, he had a bunch of that where he counterbalanced and his pelvis was forward and his upper was back and he never caught up. He just never got his pelvis back up on top of yep. the sternum. And then when he got it up there, then his iron play greatly improved.
0: Yep. And so you're, so just for, to clarify the, the sternum chasing, meaning, that the pelvis is already out in front, and then yeah. as you start down, it's, it just can never catch up. It's always out yeah. in front. It never gets in line per se at the top.
1: And you know, just for your, just for people listening, I can't tell you how important that is for short game and chipping. Yeah. If you get that sternum way behind that pelvis mm-hmm. or a little bit behind that pelvis, that low point gets back behind the ball. Yep. So it's one of those things. I'd way rather have somebody with left bend their spine bent left at the top of their wedge wings with shallow arms yep. than ever have anybody where their pelvis is out
0: front and their sternum's back with hitting a little pitch or chip shot. Let me bring this in. This is Chris and you mentioned uh 3d. And so this is your, your gears, right? And so this yeah. is how you, You know, when you measure them, this is how you get more of that exact movement of the upper center, the lower center, um, how much the rib cage is turning, how much the hips are turning, uh, the inclination of, I think one of the things that's kind of cool is you you can see the inclination of the pelvis, which as you start teaching this to someone, I think the idea that the right side of the pelvis is higher than the left, the right hip feels higher than the left at the top of the swing can be, can be a a big learning curve for a lot because I think, you know, a lot feel like their hips need to turn level and around and that kind of leads into some of the things we're talking about. So when you look at this, this is Chris Kirk's 3d. Um, what, what would you kind of share with the audience here to kind of support the conversation we're having?
1: Yeah, I mean, whenever you look at those, so especially like the the third frame where his left arm's parallel, and it's hard to see because there's so many lines on there, but yeah. there's there's two little yellow dots that are right on top of each other. And then you look in the next frame, and then the lower the pelvis is shifted out underneath. That's what you right. want. You want the, the body to be pretty close to 90 degrees right there. You know, mm-hmm. I have guys, you know, Hudson Swafford, he'd be 88 right there. When you know, when I taught him and then and he's fade bias. So kind of that left bend and and how the center of the stern and the center of pelvis match up really dictate a little bit of the shot shape that you hit. Where Kirk, he's just he rides them out on top of each other the whole time and then shifts his lower underneath. That's more of a draw bias pattern. Not always that way, but it is yeah. in there in this frame. The thing about Chris is my average tour guys. Shoulder turns normally around 100 degrees to 120 degrees. Okay. Chris's shoulder turns only like 95, 96. So he's we try to keep him. You know, as he's one thing that's really helped him is he's put this mass on his shoulder. He keeps his lead arm off his chest uh, way better because he's thicker up top and yeah. he has more lead arm adduction through the yep. hit, which has helped him a bunch to get the club out in front of himself. So you know you just kind of got it with tour guys you got to work with what they are and and, uh just try to manage and just clean their golf swings up just a little bit to help you know four or five percent make
0: them that much better so his pivot uh improved and he's he's definitely let's say a little bit more on top of it and i think that's a term you hear. he's covering a little more on top and I think it'd be fair to say, like in defining that, that means that the upper center is a little bit more stacked on the pelvis in transition and they've got a little less side bend. They're not, the sternum's not trying to catch up like sneds. And, and so they're a little more on top. They can compress it. and c- control the face, all those things, um, a little bit easier. And, and even, even with Chris being, let's say a little bit on the steeper side, you mentioned something to me via text. You talked about the height of the handle through impact. I wish I would have, I wish I would have stopped the one on the, the the picture on the right at impact. Um, but there's a term that's called the vertical swing plane. And the vertical swing plane is, you know, kind of this number, right? You were talking about Scott. Yeah. In all right, I start here where. Let me. Let me. Um, Get rid of this real quick where you know I start with the shaft like this the handle here and for Chris the butt of the clubs probably pointing just under his belt buckle thereabouts and then when he comes down that handle is you know it's a little bit higher right and so that shaft that impacts as measured to the ground a little is a little bit more vertical than say it was at address and so You were talking that maybe getting that handle to not be as much here with Chris has kind of cleaned up some things as well. Is that something that you would find yourself working on with some players?
1: Yeah, I mean, 100%. He, You know, it's like a tell-all when you get get somebody in, they don't drive it very well. Like, I'll just kind of run the track man and see what the vertical swing plane is. You know, the Mm -hmm. the tour average vertical swing plane is about 48 degrees. With a driver. You know, taller guys can be a little higher. Kirk used yeah. to be like 53, 54 wow. in that range. And now he's down. He's in the 49 50s in that wow. range all the time. So even though it looks steeper coming down, I mean, and the average guy that you see on the Internet, he's mm-hmm. way – the handle's way lower than it was. I yes. even think maybe he adjusted his line angles last year a little bit, not so they weren't so upright. Uh, you know, the, the biggest case – I think about, well, I taught Aaron Badley. I don't know, the last year that he won an event, and I'd only taught him that one year or maybe half the previous year and that year, and we got over to where he won, and I think it was in Mississippi or somewhere, and it was the first time Bad's vertical swing planes were like 56, 57, and he just kept working on it, and I got over there, and he was like 49, 48, 50. I'm like, all right, we're rolling now, and he won that week. Wow. So it was, you know, super interesting. It is it's not an exact, but it is kind of a tell-all. Yeah. You get some textbook Adam Scott looking guy or Justin Rose, their vertical swing planes are going to be in that 49, 50, 48 range almost every yeah. time.
0: So let me ask you this. Do you is there um and there's there's some different techniques that you can do to start to lower that, right? I mean, most most common is if you got a caddy, just have them stand out in front of you and they just kind of hover that. they just hover that that grip you know just above the hands on the target side and they're trying to get their hands kind of down underneath it and you know getting the lower handle and the club kind of turning the corner versus that handle kind of right you know riding up and down the line is there is there a time where you would even though it's there would you table it like is there it's possible like okay he's got he's too steep right and then he's He's too steep, and then he raises the handle to still try to hit his draw, and he's backing up, and now he's doing a number of things based off of what the backswing, downswing, maybe shape is telling him to, that he has to do. So is it? do you feel like anybody you can just get in there and, hey, just sit right there, let's just get that thing lower regardless of the shape, and the ball still kind of stays around on the club face?
1: I mean the bulk of the time when people are are, have a high vertical swing plane, they're thrusting a lot or their their butts coming into the ball and they're raising Mm -hmm. the handle. With bads, that's what it was, you know. He was thrusting a ton, like he's he had a radius change. So most of the time I'm not exactly working on vertical swing plane. It's a byproduct of like cleaning guys' golf swings up and getting their posture and getting their impact posture greatly improved. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of the way I always go. And then it's just like, then you'll look up and you're like, okay, we're getting somewhere because this is decreasing. Yeah. That's the way I go about it. I don't ever, I'm never a guy that really sticks something out there and tells somebody to swing underneath it. I've just never had a lot of luck with that. You know?
0: I see the, I see the guy oftentimes steep and from the inside, you know, like, They're like, man, I'm steeping over the top. And then you show them on the numbers and it's like, well, no, your path is five to the right. (laughs) Right. And what they see is, you know, they're like, you know, they're, they get it going this way. And then the club comes down and then they kind of, you know, they really thrust and stand the handle way up. And when you get that higher handle, what happens folks is that, that, that that's a way to kind of move the path out to the right, get the face looking out to the right. So you can hit these, you can hit these push hooks. You know and doing that but you can also get it get it going hard to the left and so even though a player may feel steep the path is still out to the right because of what they do at impact so you know sometimes that thrust can come from some other things but it, would you would you agree that like if you go back to chris and this is kind of where i wanted to go with this is that like you look at that club face going back check you look at the turn going back as we saw a nice turn stacked, not a crazy turn. You just said ninety degrees. This isn't, this isn't like, um, you know, an absolute super athletic crazy turn that we can't relate to. I mean, this is like everybody can do what you're looking at right there. Club face square, adequate turn to the top, upper center, lower center, relatively stacked. Okay. Let's start it down, maintain some of that relationship. Shaft just has to have some, you know, some pitch back. Let's not, you know, throw it way out in front of us. It's, it's okay to be a little bit on the steeper side. And then from there, it's like, all right, now I can rotate and manage that vertical swing plan a little bit and how the club turns the corner. And you've got yourself a, a pretty reliable golf swing. Yeah. <laughs> that easy, <Great>. folks. <laughs>
1: true statement not everybody has to swing it up there and add tons of lead wrist flexion spin open like crazy because i mean a lot of people just can't do it you know right
0: you know i did a i um i I do some stuff have a hack motion and i was measuring my wrists, and so i was trying to get into the amount of the same wrist angle victor hoblin is in at the top and let me tell you something i can do without a club but when i put a club in my hand I can't do it. Yeah. You know, I can't, I, I mean, I, I mean, I can, but it's like, it is really uncomfortable to get my wrist angles like that with a club in my hand. Yeah. Uh, and boy, I mean, it's like, it's like, I want to get like that. And it's, all right. I mean, you can, I don't know if you're going to get like that, but you, you maybe can get a little bit of that. I mean, if you got crazy extension, i mean, okay. I mean, you can give me, you know, you can give me a little more flexion, but Man, getting it into what Vic and Rom are actually at in measurement is—I'm uh, not sure most can do it. Would you agree?
1: They can. Uh, the you know the the whole lead wrist flexion thing. You know, I don't mind a bowed left wrist at the top because it squares the club face. You know. Yeah. But there's a lot of people, you know, it's ruined a lot of short games where the face mm. got everybody was going into flexion really early. Well, you need loft on the face for abbreviated shots, you know? So you take somebody like I, one time I had, I taught, I teach uh, Boo Weekly and I taught Joe Durant too. Mm. And I had him, Joe has a super weak left hand. Uh, Boo has a super strong left hand, just the opposite as you could get. But I measured their face angle halfway back, and they had identical face angles halfway back. Just curious, you know? Yeah. So so Joe has kind of that weird where they they have that super hard lead wrist flexion right through the hit where they bow their left wrist way out right through the hit. And then Boo goes into flexion out of the top, so he has a real open club face and then adds a bunch of lead wrist flexion on the down they both work like my preferred golf swing really is a more neutral club face going back. Cause it makes the short game easier. Yep. And then put some flexion in out of the top on the down, the square of the face, you know, so, yeah. but you know, it's, it's whatever people do, you know, Kirk gets the face pretty shut going back and then kind of flips it open the second half of the back swing. He's always done that. Mm-hmm. You know, the face is looking at the ball pretty hard, you know, a third of the way back and he. Then he opens it up in the second half of his backswing. So there's just a lot of ways to skin the cat. It's, and that's what well, I then he got, tell people
0: more than anything then got, is just then got, don't get stuck on one pattern, man. Then you got Justin Thomas posting his swing like every other day. He's got his hands out there and the toe pointing straight up in the sky like that. Yeah. You know, and the, and, and the average player looking at that, you're like, oh, my God. You know, like this is – yeah. I'm not sure if <laughs> they need they need to be looking at that. But, you know, JT's guy, he's out here wide, face, toe up, rotating it, you know, very high left arm. And, you know, it's kind of been JT's swing since he turned pro. Although I I did some, uh, some research on JT and I actually found a swing, Scott. I don't know if you saw this. I'll send it to you. When he was in college at Alabama, his left arm in college, he played. He was right there. Oh, wow. It was right yeah, there. I've never seen one of those. I don't I'll, I'll send high, it to you. I'll send it to you. Arm stuff. I mean, yeah. every everything pro is up here. Everything. Yeah. You know, so it's 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 really fascinating. I'd love to ask him the question on on when did that change because when you see the difference in these two, you'll be like, oh wow, that's a big difference.
1: Yeah, it's you know those, you know, there's certain guys that can shallow a bunch. You know, it's like talking to Sneds or Duffner. Those guys, they're not ever going to swing it up there and drop it way in behind themselves. So th- they kind of have to have more kind of up and down the plane type yeah. ball swings. Like if you draw a shaft plane line, those guys got to stay pretty close to it because they don't have a lot of shallowing mechanism. Right. But then, you know, you have other people that can drop it down that looks all cool, falling in <laughs> behind them and square it up. And, you know, those guys can have a, higher, a little
0: higher left arm.
1: So, yep. you know, it's just kind of w- working through it
0: like that. All right, let's finish with this. Here's your, another guy. You have seven in the, um, in the field this week at, the, at Sony. Um, here's a guy, Mav McNeely. Yeah. That uh, is coming back from a medical, right? He um, mm-hmm. had an injury. You were telling that. Uh, tell the story. You, he, he had an injury kind of up in his left Yeah, it's where his collarbone uh, kind of –
1: where your collarbone – and I don't know the atomic words for it, but where the collarbone goes up under your neck right there, it's a pretty weak joint in your body. Hmm. So Mav's golf swing, he'd swing it up there, and he kind of unloaded it quite a bit out of the top, and then his left shoulder got way high through impact. And he put tons of pressure when he was using his right hand to square the face. And it put tons of pressure on that collarbone right there. So what we've done with Maverick is we've tried to get him where he, he didn't unload it and he was he'd run out in front of it and then then try to line the club up with his left arm with his right hand and then push his left shoulder way up in the air. So our goal with him is to get it up there up top and not have him dump dump it out so fast and kind of hold a little bit of angle where he can stay more down on it and have his shoulders way more level to the ground. So his left shoulder's not nearly as high. So he's gonna lean up more and take more of a divot, you know, more of a boo weekly than than like what he was doing before to get the pressure off that shoulder joint or yeah. whatever that joint's called. So So he's done a great job. It's not exactly where I want it, but I was with him in Vegas, I don't know, a month or so ago. And we're getting pretty close. Like he's, you know, he, when I first started helping him, he couldn't even hardly take a divot. Now he, now he can hit the back of the ball and take some turf out in front of it, get the low point out in front of the ball, stabilize the face a little bit. Wow. So, uh, you know, Maverick's such an incredible putter. He's, I think he's yes. the best putter on the PJ tour. So we'll find out if I'm any good with my job with him. So,
0: <laughs> so when you say All when right. you say when you say unloading it early, you're talking here in yeah. the wrist, right? Yeah. So he's starting to unload, and he not wrists. only
1: cocked it like that, but he cocked it into a steep. Oh, okay. So it's not like a Piercy or somebody's got Piercy that uncocked it, but cocked it kind of in line.
0: Now cocked
1: it into a steep.
0: Okay. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And then when he would race out in front that, you know, his stern's out in front and then you'd have, Yeah. and then he would kind of, then kind of stand it up to get it in line. Yeah. And
1: then he'd yeah. make the left shoulder, like a real late, real high left shoulder to shallow it. Like his yeah. shower was like a pop your left shoulder way up in the air and right yeah. bend.
0: So he's, he's got more angle and then he's, he, yeah. he, he probably, he probably feels like he's more out in front of it and around it's yeah it's the combo we
1: have is where he feels like he's way behind like his head stays back, but his left okay. shoulder stays down
0: and around okay yeah that left shoulder let's finish with this that for the for our audience here that that left shoulder down and around how do you how do you is there is there a go to for you on that i i I find myself getting to that point with players where you're not, you're not trying to go this way, right? You're trying to get them like you want it to be like, it feels like that left shoulder is going down. And then it feels like the shoulders are kind of more level. And then this way. Right. I mean, naturally you're always going to be a little this way, but yeah. the idea is you're not pow. Is there a go-to for yeah, you I mean, in that? I, field?
1: I, I work. I mean, i seriously work on this all the time, especially with players aren't quite as skilled. Yeah. But, I mean, it's one of those things that's kind of a challenging thing to work on because the feel of it makes people over the top, you know? Yeah, right. Exactly. So it's like it, it, we'll do a lot of stuff. Like Bailey Tardy, the LPGA girl I teach, she had a super high left shoulder, weight way, way hung behind it. So with her, we've just done tons of more of actually fixing the center of the pelvis, the center of the sternum, cleaned hers up a bunch. I mean, she'd be somebody that hit four up on it and her swing direction would be seven or eight to the right with a driver. Wow. So she had no fade in there whatsoever. Yeah. So we have just shifted her, leveled her out, and shifted her over on top of it way more so her left shoulder could work down and around. Uh, a lot of times I'll take like a part of a pool, like a pool noodle, like a little cheap thing you buy at the dollar store, mm-hmm. and put it in their left shoulder and make them feel like they – can turn that pool noodle down and around they can see it and hit chippy shots to get a feel for Mm -hmm. it but you always kind of got to offset and go hey this has got to feel like it's really coming from the inside when you do this because you jump somebody up there and down and around them that club's going way up and over their hands they're going to be steep so they'll do it twice and quit so yep big thing with teaching is you got to go hey we're going to do this this is a fade bias move we got to offset this a little bit you know let's let's fix this but
0: not let your path get way left there's a time and place for it. That's for sure. Yeah, like, yeah. yeah they're, they're, That you're not defaulting to that with everybody, but when you do get to that point in development with the player, it's it's a fun place to be because you do have you do have a lot of nice things happening, and so when you can get them to to feel that and how to turn the corner, boy, that that just like completes it all. I mean, it, all of a yeah, sudden, yeah, that's it's a like, magic whoa. there. Yeah, Whoa. and that's really
1: with map. That's what we're trying to do. We're trying to get that lead okay. shoulder down in place, but still be able to hit it from the inside a little bit because he likes to draw it. You know.
0: Yeah. Awesome, man. Good yeah. stuff. Appreciate your time, Chris Kirk. I picked him to go back to back. Golly, I like the yeah. way you're thinking, Buck. I'm just. I'm trying to keep. him trying to get to that, <laughs> that second bonus here, coming back from. Uh, <laughs> from uh, Hawaii. <laughs> You're yeah, the man, Scotty. Thanks you so know. much for your time. I appreciate it. All right. See you, brother.